You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Phil Nelson. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to dive into the song. Many of you know the story behind it. Some of you don't. But before we get into the message, I want to take literally three minutes to just start sharing with you what's coming up for Easter weekend. Easter weekend, as you know, in the Christian faith is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, not just holiday, but uh, truce that the Christians stand on. Because if Easter isn't true, and shall I even say, if Resurrection Day is not true, there's no reason to be here. And there's no reason to even live our lives with any hope for the future. But because he lives, because on the third day that tomb is empty, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, we know that we have not been given a spirit of fear, amen? but a power, love, and a sound mind. And so Good Friday is so important for the believer. But it's even more important for the unbeliever because they need to know that a price was paid for them. And so this Good Friday, I don't know of uh, many of you who were here in 2018, but we did that. And I know many of you have come and stayed because of that and your life has been changed And you have testimonies because of that Good Friday walkthrough. And we're promoting it on 93 Star, and 93 is going to be here on Thursday night. They're partnering with us. We got mailers going out to all of Blanchester. We have invites on the Welcome Center, professional printed invites for you to start passing out. This Sunday, I just want to focus on two things. Number one is pray. Can you say pray? Let's not underestimate the power of prayer. Prayer moves the mountains. I was going to say prayer moves the hand of God. Prayer is a partnership with God, the word of God, and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so the prayers of our faith change things. And so I want you to join us. We're going to pray in just a moment. And in the coming weeks, you're going to see more and more. And we're going to have signups in order to do this on Thursday night and Friday night of Good Friday weekend. We're going to need about 60 people working this event and praying and ministering to people. So I want you to be praying in the next week or so of where God might have you serve. And we're going to pray for a goal of a thousand people to walk through these doors and walk through the road of suffering, trusting that God is going to meet them at the cross. What kind of life change would happen? And so prayer is so essential. Number two is invite. Can you say invite? Invite. This is where we as a church with these events are trying to make it as easy and simple for you to witness and bring people 
to Christ. Some of you, all you have to do is invite your friends and your families who may know the Lord, who don't know the Lord. This walkthrough is for both. You can just invite them. Some of you, you're going to have to say, I'm going to pick you up at six o'clock and we're going to go. But friends, this is our opportunity to bring people to the message, the gospel message of Jesus. And so I want to take a minute to pray. So would you bow your heads? I want you to think, I know this, is, this, is, this, this may be tough. I want you to think right now of 10 people you know that you are praying that God would draw them to himself. 10 people. Maybe they're believers. Maybe they've never accepted Jesus. Maybe they've never heard the message of Jesus fully. 10 people. You're probably at about four or five. I'm going to give you 30 seconds for five more. And now pray for those 10 people. Pray that even before you even talk to them, before you give them an invite, before you send them a Facebook event page link, that God would be drawing their hearts even now. As many of you have shared in the past, even driving past this church, driving past this marquee sign, God has ministered to people and told them directly where they are to come to this place. And so God, whatever you need to do to draw these people, do it, God. But we thank you for the invite that we get to be a partner in your kingdom and be a part of bringing people to you, King Jesus. And so all of these names Thousands of names that have been brought up to you today, this morning. We give them to you, oh God. And now we hand over the keys of doing the rest to get them here. Now you would use us as a conduit. Those who are watching online, I pray that you would be drawn to not only attend this Good Friday walkthrough experience, but you would bring at least one person with you. There's life-changing power in the gospel of Jesus, and we pray all of that in his name. Amen. So excited. Be praying for the production team and the staff as we put this whole weekend together. It is well with my soul. How many of you would say that's one of your favorite hymns of all time? Yeah, you go along with most of the population of the Christian church. It is known as the really famous uh, hymn of all Christendom of hymn songs. And so I'd like to give you a little bit of insight of how this song was written. And out of that, we're going to just try to extract a couple takeaways for us to be able to maybe even experience and live out the lyrics of this song. 
The song is called It Is Well With My Soul, written by Horatio Spafford and composed by Philip, what a great name, Bliss, 1876. 1876. Horatio was born in 1828, and he passed away in 1888. He was a successful lawyer and a real estate investor in Chicago, Illinois. He and his wife, Anna, there's a picture on the screen for you there. They had a son, one son, and four daughters. They lost, uh, excuse me, uh, they lived a life of philanthropy and service. Philanthropy, if you didn't know, I actually had to look it up. It actually means generous donation or service to those in need. They were committed to their church and they were living a life of generous giving until 1871, that is. In that year, they lost their four-year-old son to scarlet fever. And a few months later, the great Chicago fire wiped out the majority of their property holdings. Almost everything gone. Horatio dealt with his deep grief grief through work and serving others as he helped to rebuild the city of Chicago, assisting more than 100,000 people who had been left homeless. Losing a son at four years old is enough to throw in the towel for many. And he continued to stay faithful even through the grieving of serving others. We'll preach. Two years later in 1873, the Spaffords, Horatio and Anna, planned a visit to Europe to visit some evangelical meetings that were going on by his very good friends, D.L. Moody. Heard of him? And uh, Ira Sankey. Then as a family after that, they were going to enjoy vacation. When an urgent business matter detained Horatio in New York City, he decided to send his wife Anna and their four daughters. You'll see a picture of their four daughters, Maggie, Tanetta, Annie, and Bessie on ahead. As he saw them settled onto the ship in their cabin aboard the luxurious French line, an uneasy feeling filled Horatio's mind. And he moved them to a room closer to the bow, bow of the ship. He then said goodbye, promising to see them soon. On the voyage, the ship Anna and their four daughters were traveling on was struck by another vessel. And it sank rapidly, taking the life of 226 passengers, including Anna's four daughters. Maggie, Tanetta, Annie, and Bessie. Anna was the only one in the family who survived along with only 47 others aboard the ship. Once rescued to the shore, Anna sent a hauntingly brief telegram to her husband, and it was two words, saved alone. Alone. 
Horatio immediately booked passage to join his wife. En route on a cold December evening on the ship he was on, the captain called him aside and said, Sir, I believe we are now passing over the place where the ship with your daughters sank. What would you do? What would you do? This is what Horatio did. He went to his cabin, but he couldn't sleep. It was there that he got on his knees and he says, it is well. The will of God be done. He later wrote his famous hymn based on those few words. It is well. The will of God be done. And hence came the song we love, we sing, and we cherish. And verse one goes like this. When peace The first two words of the song by this man who just experienced what he experienced, he says, when peace. Many of you have suffered loss this last year and been rocked and devastated. Horatio knew that, understood that. His four daughters, and he still said, it is well. The Lord's will be done. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows, like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Friends, out of this story and out of this song, I think it's acceptable to say that the American church is miles wide and centimeters deep. Very few Christians, followers of Jesus, that I know personally are doing this. And there are some, friends. There are many, actually. But it takes specific things in one's life to get to that place, to say it is well. The Lord's will be done. Some of you are just even holding back the tears right now because the anguish is filling your chest so tight. All I can say to you is breathe. God's got this. It's not yours to carry anymore. He's got this. So my question for you is this. What does it take to be able to approach each challenge, each heartache, each deep loss with this kind of perspective? I mean, I think if I took a poll, everyone would say, I want that. 
but so few attain that. I'm going through a valley of my own, and so are you. But even through the valley, up the mountain, through the river, and back again, God is faithful. This type of response, friends, is grounded in the opposite belief system that this world provides. Let me say that again. This belief system and this perspective that God is in control and he is faithful and so no matter what comes our way, we can say it as well, is polar opposite to the world we live in. And so if you are a Christian, you're going to be a Christian and you're going to live out the Christian walk. You need to go against the current of this world. So many Christians are getting caught up in the current and being taken with it. If that's you, turn around and start pressing against the current because the Holy Spirit is with you and he will give you what you need to make it through. So many Christians I've heard saying before of, well, I heard the scripture verse that God will never give us more than we can handle and I just can't handle it. That perspective is wrong, by the way. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture does say, God will afflict us. God will allow things to happen with us. And God will put us in life to where we cannot do it on our own. You were never created to do it on your own. Since the fall of sin, we have been helpless, completely helpless to do anything. So to say the scripture that God wouldn't give us more than we can handle, that's a lie. He does give us more than we can handle. It's called life. But there is a but, and I love the word but in the scripture. Don't misquote me on that. But, but with God, all things are possible. Right, Tiff? With God, the impossible is made possible, right? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You're not supposed to be able to handle but with God as your captain and Jesus as your savior and the Holy Spirit as your power engine, you can do all things. But that doesn't mean you're not going to face the hardest things in the world. Jesus says, in this life, you will experience all hardship, all suffering. You will experience death. You will experience accusations, false accusations, friends betraying you, loss of loved ones, illness and sickness. You will, you will deal with so many of these things, but he says, but take heart. What he's saying, Jesus is saying, it is well. 
but take heart. I've overcome the world, by the way, BTW. We forget that. And so I want to I give you two specific points and then a third application to how even now we can live a life grounded and anchored no matter what wind, no matter what storm blows, no matter what we lose, we can stand firm and say, it is well. The first point in how we do this is your focus. We recently did a a series called Focus Forward. Focus is everything. What you focus on is what you draw towards. What you focus on is what you think about. What you focus on is what you begin to speak. What you begin to speak determines and develops your belief system. What is in your belief system drives your actions. Your focus is everything. That's why Jesus' call to follow him is all about focus. He didn't just say, if you want to follow me, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved, period. Yes, you will be saved. But Jesus isn't talking about salvation here. He's talking about following him, identifying yourself as his. Focus is everything. And so how do we get to a place where we can say it is well, the Lord's will be done? Well, we focus less on what is lost. I'm not saying don't focus or think about it because that would be stupid of me. We go through loss. It stinks. It's hard. It's difficult. We never fill that void that our loved ones leave. But we focus less on the pain and more on where the hope can be found. Your focus changes your mind. Your focus changes your perspective and your focus will change your behavior. Second Corinthians chapter four. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 through 18. And on the next slide, you're going to see text in yellow. You're learning very quickly that that's you, okay? So actually, it's right here. 2 Corinthians, here we go. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Here we go. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, for the things we see now will be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. 
This is coming from a man who persecuted and killed Christians. And then he met Jesus on the road to another town where he was going to do the same. Jesus transformed his life. And he experienced more beatings, more hardships, more struggles, suffering, and attacks than really any other apostle or believer in that day. And yet, he fixed his gaze on the things that cannot be seen. I want to leave you with one more scripture in regards to our focus. And it has to do with worry and anxiety, which has plagued our world, our land, our churches. Let's look at what this says here. Don't worry about anything. Easier said than done, done, Paul, right? But look what he faced. Makes our hardships look like a day at Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> I'm not undermining our hardships, but I think a lot of times when we're going through the rough trials, it's, it's encouraging to look at the hardships that other people are facing for the sake of Christ. Philippians 4, 6, do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. I'm not gonna get into a spiel on anxiety and worry and all, that's a whole different teaching series in itself. But I will say this. If we begin to obey this passage, anxiety and worry would not have the hold on our lives that we give it. Me too. Tell God what you need. And thank him for all he's done. That is so missing in our prayers. We tell him what we need. Oh, yeah, we got a list. We don't even need notes. We'll just tell him. But to thank him, it's a whole different ballgame. That's called focus. We thank him for all he's done. Then, say then, then. Let's all say it together. Ready? One, two, three. Then, then you will experience God's peace. Oh, but I want God's peace. God, I want your peace. I want your peace. He says, stop worrying. Bring your needs to me and thank me for everything. Isn't that relationship? Isn't that the core of a true, healthy relationship? This is another indicator, friends, that God is all about relationship. He wants you to experience his peace, but in relationship, when we come to him, we lay it down, we tell him what we need, we listen, we bask in his presence, and then we thank him, and then we experience him. That's relationship. 
Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. Ready? His peace. Can we read that one more time? His peace. Ready? His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ. Yeah. When our attention, when our perspective, when our focus are on the hope that lies in Jesus alone, in a God who reigns above it all, over the universe and over every heart. Remember last week? Even through the hardship, even through the heartache and the suffering, we can say it is well. May the Lord's will be done. Your focus, your focus. Friends, what's the focus of your thoughts? Is it this life sinks? Let me just say it. I'm just gonna quote most of you. This life sucks. What I'm going through sucks. I don't know if I can do it anymore. Is that your thought? Or is your thought, this is the hardest thing I've ever faced, but God is good and he is with me. I'm gonna share something vulnerable enough with you. Our son, Joseph, has been going through uh, a lot of anxiety, immense to where it paralyzes him. And uh, we've been walking with him and uh, we've been seeing a counselor with him and he is just a precious soul. It's just, he's so overwhelmed. And through this guys, it's been so awesome because we've been able to see him become a prayer warrior praying against this worry, praying against the overwhelming nature to where when he prays for someone who's sick like my dad, he prays the walls down. And he is, he's making progress. But one thing he keeps saying, and he's been telling me because I'm struggling with some things, physical energy, mental fog, some stuff that God's got, he knows and he's taking care of it. But Joseph is saying, Daddy, we've got this because God is with us. That's faith. That even though you are plagued with anxiety and worry in that moment, that you can speak to the mountains and the winds and the waves. You can throw this anxiety at me if you want, but my God, my God owns the mountains in which you are building. God is faithful. What is your thought process or your cassette tape? Remember those? What is your tape reel? to where you rewind it back and you play it again and you rewind it back and you play it again. Some of you need to stop and record right over that track. 
You keep saying, oh, I can't do this. Oh, woe is me. I can't. God's just giving me a bad deck of cards. I can't win. Maybe he's mad at me. This, this, this. I understand the pain, but the perspective is where you can say, God is with me. He is faithful. I'm in his hands. No one can grasp me. Grasp me from him. Your focus. And now on your focus, what's your speech like? Just start listening to what you say. I understand you're in pain. I understand that this is difficult. I understand that you have to walk through it and go through it. But that does not have to be your identity. That is not who you are. That's what you are going through. Whose you are is the God who made the mountains and the valleys, God who created you and the God who promised he would be with you through it all. Your words matter. God created you like himself. No other creature is like man and woman. He's created us, friends, to speak things into existence as they already were. That's in the Bible. (laughs) Our words have power in the physical realm and the spiritual realm. It even says that the demons in hell believe in the name of Jesus. And whenever his name is spoken, they flee. Spoken. Not just thought. Spoken. So when we go home, we get in our cars and we go to work and we're faced with whatever we're faced, we need to guard our mouths and align our minds and our hearts with the word of God first before we speak. The Bible says in James, be slow to speak, slow to get angry and quick to listen. Number two, your foundation. What are you anchor to that is going to hold you fast when the storms of life come and they will come. What is anchoring you, friends? Going to church? Having your Bible on your nightstand? Meeting in a small group? What is anchoring your life? Because you will soon know what is anchoring you when the floods and the winds and the waves and the clouds surround you. Jesus is our hope. He's our anchor who will keep us in the midst of our storms. He is the one who is able to keep us steadfast, amen? He is the one that's able to keep us unmovable. 
in spite of the tides of life. Check this, um, this verse out. My sin. Shout out to my daddy who's watching right now. This is his song. This is his song. Will be played at his funeral. Hopefully not anytime soon, dad. But he's got all his bags packed. He's ready. If the Lord would call him home, he's ready. And that's why this is his song. He's ready because of this. These words, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, like so many of us compartmentalize our sin. Well, God will forgive this, but he's probably not gonna forgive this. My sin, not in part, but the whole. is nailed to the cross and you bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. That's why we can say it as well. It's because the foundation of our faith is based on the forgiveness of your sin. The foundation of your faith is based on the rescue act that Jesus came and rescued you. Your foundation is based on when you were sinking, Jesus rose you from the dead. That's your foundation. Matthew, verse 7, verses 24 to 25, Jesus tells it like this. He says, everyone then who hears the words of mine, the words of hope, the words of the kingdom of God, the words of salvation, and does them, meaning Jesus, time out, Jesus spoke hope. He spoke salvation and he spoke life, but never did he speak hope, life, and salvation without obedience. Obedience is essential to walking in the ways of Jesus. Moving on. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, obeys them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it, it's in yellow, y'all. Here we go. <laughs> I was testing you. I was going to set you up. Here we go. But it did not fall. Amen. It did not fall because it was anchored on the bedrock, the rock that cannot be moved. What are you anchored to? What is the thing that holds you steadfast? What is the thing or the person that you run to when the storm hits. And when you are the loneliest and the most perplexed, who is it you run to first? Who is it you run for strength when you're empty and exhausted and you're sick and you don't have answers? 
what anchors you to be able to say, God's got this. It's going to be okay. This life ain't all. It's just a short trailer video of what's to come. Our focus keeps us moving in the right direction. Our foundation grounds us and keeps us planted in Christ when storms come. And as the band comes up and as we worship and respond to this song, I want to leave you with a question. And the question goes like this. How will you respond to Jesus? How will you respond? How will you respond to the messages you get this coming week that you didn't expect? How will you respond to a sudden traumatic situation? How will you respond if like Michael Miller had his son fall off his trampoline this week and break his arm, I believe, in two or three places? How will you respond when a car hits you from behind or the side? How will you respond when you show up to work realizing your office has been cleared, packed, and no longer welcoming to you? But most importantly, friends, how will you respond when you take your last breath and you enter from the earthly temporal as we know it into the eternal presence of God? How will you respond when God says, what do you have to say for the sin that deserves death and eternal separation from me. How will you respond? And there's only one response that will give us the result we're looking for. And that is because Jesus came and took my sin on the cross. And because he died and shed his blood to forgive me. And because I received his forgiveness. I am yours, God. And that's when he says, son, daughter, come and rule and reign with me forever. But there's going to be some who give explanations of the good works and the good things that they did, and the great church service. There's going to even be some pastors, friends, that said, man, did I preach every Sunday. And God's going to say, I didn't know you. How are you going to respond to the forgiveness that Jesus is offering? But you have to respond by dying to the one you're living and becoming alive in the one he gives you. 
there is a transaction that needs to happen. And so friends, for anyone who's struggling right now, anyone who's in a storm of life, I'm gonna ask Pastor Elliot to come forward on this side, Elliot. Ellen Umbersaw, would you join Elliot, please? I'm gonna ask my wife to come down front here. Anyone who's just not at that place of saying it is well, the Lord's will be done. I want you to respond in this time. Come to the center altar. You can just pray by yourself and lay it down. You can go to the corners and take communion with your family by yourself and respond to the forgiveness that God has given. Or you can come down to the sides and receive prayer. But let's do something in response. Would you pray? Would you stand, excuse me? Father, your will be done. It is well. It is well. You are in control. You are on your throne. No one will strip you of your royalty. No one will strip you of your rule or reign. Kingdoms will rise. Kingdoms will fall. But the kingdom of God will reign forever and evermore. It is well. What evil, what, what man means for evil, God means for good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly impact Bible study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.